Well, good morning, good morning. It's wonderful to see all of you. Welcome to Sunday morning worship here at Mayflower Congregational Church. We're thrilled to have you with us, whether you're joining us via live stream or here in the sanctuary. It's a blessing to worship together. If you are seated on the aisle, you know what to do. There's a friendship register. Please sign it and pass it down the row. Well, we are cruising right along in our summer series of Voices and Vision. And this morning, we are so thrilled to welcome back Todd Chaffee. Thank you, Todd, for being with us. Todd is a longtime friend of our church, and we're just so honored uh, to have his voice and his vision being shared with us today. Well, this past week, we had a baptism. Tom and Shelley Kester's granddaughter Madison was baptized Thursday here in the sanctuary, and next week's worship service will include two baptisms. So what a glorious reminder of the outward sign of God's grace, the work of acceptance into the care of Christ's church, the sign and seal of participation in God's forgiveness, and the beginning of growth into full Christian faith and discipleship. So may we all remember our own baptisms in this season. So we have special music this morning, as always. And to tell us more about it, please welcome Dr. Julia Brown. The two themes for music this morning are bread and psalms. So the prelude you just heard uh, is an organ setting by an early uh, organist who was active in Hamburg in the early 1600s. And at that time, there was one choir for the four main churches in the city. And when that choir was not at your church, then you had to play that motet or that choral piece for the day on the organ. So um, he happens to have this beautiful setting of a motet by Orlando de Lassus, um, I Am the Bread of Life. And you will hear other bread themes throughout our hymns today. And uh, Josh and Lindsay are here uh, as our cantors singing two psalm settings. Uh, Lindsay will sing Psalm 23, a setting uh, by Colin Mauby, and you can hear that on the CD Voice of an Angel. I would imagine some of you know that CD, so you may recognize. It was a new setting for me, just a beautiful setting. And then uh, the offertory is a setting of Psalm 89 by Mendelssohn from his first oratorio, St. Paul. Thank you, Julia. Well, I would like to welcome Rachel Cooley, who is our Director of Outreach and Family Ministry here at Mayflower, with, first of all, a very enlightening invitation to all of you. And second, she is going to lead us in our call to worship this morning. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you. There are so many things that make this church beautiful in so many ways, and one of them is the beautiful chandeliers above you. But if you take a moment and we look up, many of you have noticed they're a little dingy right now. And so in order to keep this time-honored tradition of us as a congregation cleaning our chandeliers and not hiring it out to a service, we are looking for a group of volunteers to come next Tuesday, August 17th at 9.30 in the morning to help clean and we're going to replace the bulbs and we're going to shine them up back to their glory we will take everyone those who have done it before that can give instructions and those of us who need the instructions and that can do the work we will also have child care provided at that time so now let us begin our worship this morning with a call to worship i will bless the lord at all times The Lord's praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes it boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt the Lord's name together.
Let us pray together. Holy Lord, out of the depths we cry out to you. Many of us, like Elijah, say, it is enough. Lord, hear our voices. Our soul waits for you, and we wait with hope. You tell us to get up and eat. You promise to fill us as you promise life eternal. So we give you our praise today and always. Amen. Today's first reading is from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 4 through 8. But he, Elijah, himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly, an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat. Otherwise, the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Today's second reading is from the book of John, chapter 6, verses 35 and 41 through 51. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can we now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me. And I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's something to be said about a good meal, wouldn't you say? When's the last time you had a good meal? I mean a really good meal. The kind you talk about, you tell friends about, and you make sure that they have to go have that meal sometime. My family and I were on vacation a couple weeks ago, and we went down south. I'm reminded of that with this weather today. And we went to Memphis and Birmingham Montgomery, Atlanta, and everywhere we went, the claim was, we have the best barbecue, whether it's briskets or ribs. Apparently, Memphis barbecue is better than Atlanta's barbecue, and Montgomery's barbecue is better than Birmingham's barbecue. Everybody had the best barbecue. So I did my part, and I ate barbecue all along the way. Of course, barbecue comes with fixins, collard greens, fried okra, mac and cheese, cornbread, and sweet tea. Great meals, every one of them. Now, I'm not sure who has the best barbecue, but by the time we left Atlanta for Michigan, I had one thing on my mind, salad. <laughs> There's good barbecue, but then there's good health. Believe it or not, there's more to life than good barbecue. There's more to life. You know, that could be the subtitle of John's chapter 6. There's more to life. Now, admittedly, while there is more to life and even more than good barbecue, there are surely some basics to life, like basic nourishment. In fact, hunger and food are dominant throughout chapter 6. The chapter opens with Jesus and his disciples by themselves. They're up on a mountainside, we're told. Jesus had been with large crowds all day, healing people, performing signs, says John. And just as Jesus and his disciples sit down, a great crowd shows up, no doubt wanting Jesus to perform more miracles. And as Jesus sees the crowd approaching, he says to Philip, one of his disciples, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? The people are hungry, and Jesus wants to feed them. Philip responds, it would take more than a half a year's wage to buy enough bread so that everybody could just have a bite. Over 5,000 people. 
But Andrew, another disciple of Jesus, he tells Jesus that there's a boy here and he has some small loaves, five small loaves of bread and two small fish. It's not much, but Philip seems to think that Jesus surely could do something with that boy's lunch. And Jesus did do something. He had the people sit down, thousands of them. He took the loaves, gave thanks, and began passing out bread and fish. And the bread and fish kept coming. Not only did everyone have enough to eat, says John, but there were leftovers. Twelve picnic baskets full. There's something to be said about a good meal. Later that evening, Jesus and his disciples crossed the Sea of Galilee and arrived in Capernaum, some distance from where they started. In fact, it was an area that Jews normally wouldn't go to. The next day, the crowd, says Jesus, were looking for Jesus, and they realized that he had went across the sea, so they too set sail and arrived in Capernaum. And when they found Jesus, they said, well, Rabbi, when did you get here? As if they didn't know he was there. It seems they wanted to think that, Jesus to think, just that they happened to bump into him there in Capernaum. And Jesus calls them out. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You don't really want what I have to offer. You just want some more barbecue. So what is it that Jesus has to offer better than even barbecue? Himself. Himself. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Turns out some folks just didn't want Jesus. They didn't want the bread of life. They just came for some more loaves and fish. In fact, John tells us that some of the Jews who were there began to grumble. Who is Jesus to claim that he's the bread of life? Who is he to claim that he comes from heaven? Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Now you have to admit, you have to admit that Jesus' claim is a lot to stomach. Jesus is the bread of life. To partake of Jesus is to never again go hungry or go thirsty. That's a lot. But that's John's gospel. From the very start, John has been serving up wild claims. Do you remember how John's gospel opens up chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. And then the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. How is this possible? How can this be? How could this Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, be the word made flesh? No wonder the Jews grumbled. At the very least, why not somebody like Moses or King David or prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah. Jesus, the Word of God, he's seen the Father. Moses never saw the Father. King David was never called the bread of life. But somehow the one who believes, really believes in Jesus, will have eternal life. You know, the folks 
of Jesus' time are no different than the folks of Moses' time. We've been here before. In Moses' day, when the people were in the desert looking for the promised land and they were hungry, God provided manna from heaven. And yet after days of manna, we're told in the book of Exodus that the people grumbled. There was more to life than manna. God was leading them to the promised land. But somehow the people missed it. The manna got old, and so did the people's faith. This isn't lost on Jesus. Recall he reminds the crowds of this. Your ancestor ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread of life that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. This bread is my flesh, he claims, which I will give for the life of the world. And yet some walked away. Some argued about how this could be possible. And yet some, some believed. There's more to life, you know. Being hungry and having a good meal is a good thing, but there's still more. Wandering in the desert in search of a better life, asking for food and help are legitimate requests. Don't get me wrong, but there's still more. Working, having a career, buying a house, raising a family, preparing for retirement, these are all good things. But there's more. There's Jesus. And John is crystal clear that Jesus is not somebody who simply fits in where space is found in your life. Or somebody who becomes a priority when you have a great need. John's gospel is clear. Jesus Christ is the point of our lives. The reason for our lives. He's the true bread. The only bread that truly gives life. John tries to say it in just about every way. Jesus is the bread of life. He's the light of the world, the door of the sheep, the resurrection and the life, the good shepherd, the true vine, the way, the truth, and the life. There is more to life, and that more is Jesus Christ. Now, when my family and I were down south, I said that we had stopped in several cities. One of them was Memphis, and we wanted to go to Memphis to visit the Lorraine Motel. Now, if you know about the Lorraine Motel, that is where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And he was murdered there on April 4, 1968, just after 6 p.m. He was 39 years old. The motel is now a museum. And as you work your way through the museum, the path ends looking out a big window at the balcony, at the site where Dr. King was assassinated. A small piece of metal, a plaque, marks the spot where he was standing. Now, I don't know if you know why Dr. King was in Memphis, but he was there for a protest, but maybe one that you're not familiar with. He was there to participate in a garbage workers' strike garbage workers. He was there to lend support to garbage workers. They were asking for a little more pay and better working conditions. And Dr. King was there to help. By then, Dr. King had become the face of the civil rights movement. He had already given his I Have a Dream speech in Washington. He had received the Nobel Peace Prize, and he had met with presidents. But there he was in April, early April, 1968, standing with garbage workers. He knew there was more to life. But that wasn't always the case for him. I don't know how familiar you are with his biography, but it's not always as we might think it is. As a young man, King had very little interest in the life of the civil rights movement, believe it or not. You see, he went to Morehouse College already at the age of 15. 
He graduated at 19, went to Crozer Seminary in Pennsylvania, graduating there in 1951, and then he went to Boston University for his Ph.D. in systematic theology. He was very successful at a very young age. And as he was finishing up that Ph.D., finishing up his dissertation, he decided it was time to take a church and become a pastor. And lo and behold, three churches wanted him. Three churches extended a call. Now I want you to think about why he chose the church he did. He chose the church he did because they paid the most money and gave the most benefits. Now is that the king we know today? So he chose the church that would allow him to flourish in the ways he thought he should and allow his career to flourish in the ways he thought it should. King was ambitious. He was talented, and he sought to be successful. He knew a good meal when he saw one. So King went to Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. Life was good. And then came the civil rights movement in the Montgomery bus boycott. They wanted King to participate in the bus boycott, and he said, no. He was young, he was new, he wanted to stay out of trouble. But they knew he was gifted. And so they pressured him to participate in the bus boycott, so he said, fine, I'll tell you what, I'll give a talk or two, but then I'm done. He gave a talk or two. And the people saw in him their leader. And so they pressed him into service. And there he was, the face in some sense, of the bus boycott. But King's, King's new career came with a price. There were regular threats on his life, on the lives of his wife and children, and even his house there in Bur uh, Montgomery was bombed. At the height of the bus boycott, King finally had a breaking point. He came home late one night. His wife and children were already in bed. The phone rang, and the voice on the other end said this, Leave Montgomery immediately if you have no wish to die. King was gripped with fear. He walked to the kitchen and sank into a chair. He describes what happened next in his book, Stride Towards Freedom. He writes, I was ready to give up. I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. In the state of exhaustion, when my courage had all but gone, I decided to take my problem to God. With my head in my hands, I bowed over that kitchen table and prayed aloud, and King says that he heard the voice of Jesus saying to fight on. And Jesus promised never to leave him. Almost at once, King writes, my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. And that's the King we know. The King whom Jesus walked with. What happened? For Martin King, Jesus finally became the bread of life. And he, Jesus, sustained him for the rest of his life and even into death. And so on the evening of April 3rd, 1968, the evening before King would be murdered on April 4, he gave a talk at a local church in Montgomery. They were preparing for an upcoming rally. Here is how King ended that talk. I got to Memphis, and some began to mention the threats and talk about the threats that were out. What would happen to me from some of our sick white brothers? Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter to me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop, and I don't mind. 
Like anybody, I would love to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. In less than 24 hours, he would be dead. But he knew who sustained him, Jesus Christ. The bread of life. And it didn't matter. And King could just give his life to do the will of God. Now I suspect a lot of you are thinking, it's quite a story. I can't be like Dr. King. Yes, you can, because Dr. King is like you. Just like us, we want a good meal. We want a good life. We want a good career. We want a good family. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we all must come to that place of is there more. As Christians, we know there is more. Jesus, the bread of life. And so it's not so much of Dr. King, we becoming like Dr. King, as much as we recognize ourselves in him. And as we give our lives fully to Jesus. Trust me now. Jesus will do great things with us. That's the vision that we are left with in John chapter 6. Praise God in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We celebrate today that there is more to life, that Jesus is the living bread. We celebrate abundance with gratitude for the generous spirits who give in this place. The ushers will now come forward to receive this morning's offering.
God, we give you our hearts, we give you our minds, we give you our souls, we give you our strength, we give you our resources. May they be used for your glory, honor, and praise forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. I've been told that you can't hear me when I walk down the aisle, so I'm going to try to project big time. Now is the time for our congregational prayer, and I'm wondering if we have any requests or notes of praise you would like to share with the congregation. Ron. Absolutely. San Haddad is here with us with his wife and children. I noticed your kids were here too. It's fun to see them. San's father passed away suddenly, so he's asking for prayer for his family. We're going to pray for you too. You asked for prayer for your mom and your siblings. We'll pray for you. Uh, for sure. Anyone else have anything they'd like to share? Can you hear me? Look at that. Look at that. You're going to hear more about our, our AV system and the needs we have with that. So hold tight. That'll be coming this fall. Anyone? Anything else? Okay. Let's. Maybe you can hear me better if I'm back here. Okay. Well, let's join our hearts together and pray this morning our congregational prayer. Oh, holy God, you offered yourself, you continue to offer yourself to us every minute of every day. May we not settle for little bits and pieces. May we not settle for what is simply humanly a good meal. May we seek you, may we hunger and thirst for you, and may we be filled beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. And Lord, we pray this morning for those who grieve. There are actually several people in this building who have lost loved ones not so long ago. And we know that grief comes in waves. It can hit us at times when we least expect it. We can think we're okay and then we're not. So Lord, I pray so fervently for the Haddad family. They've lost their husband, their father, their grandfather so suddenly. I pray for you to wrap your loving arms around this family and assure them that you offer yourself, that we find peace like a river in times of grief from you, the source of all life, that you carry us through death because you are the master of both life and death. You promise us life eternal, something we can only imagine, and that it is beautiful. And Lord, I pray for those who suffer. There are many, many on our prayer chain who are battling cancer, tumors, disease. And Lord, I pray for your supernatural hand of mercy, comfort, and healing. And those in this room who don't want it spoken out loud, but they are also suffering. May your blanket of peace just rest on them at this time. And Lord, we offer you our praise for new life, for summer sunshine and rain, for baptisms, for the little one I held in my arms on Thursday who just with rapt attention looked heavenward as I placed the baptism waters on her forehead. Remind us, Lord, that you are the source of life, that we are baptized into your community, and what a beautiful thing it is. And Lord, we pray for this church at this time of transition, this never-ending time of transition. We thank you for excitement, for joy, for planning. As our staff met this week, there was a buzz in the room about all the things we have before us. The opportunities to be transformed personally and to transform our community and to let that just flow out into the world. Thank you. And Lord, we do pray for our world. The wildfires raging in places like Greece and California. Floodwaters overtaking communities. And of course, the Delta variant. We pray that you will show us how we can intercede well, how we can make a difference in a hurting world. It's overwhelming. 
to read or watch the news these days. But Lord, we know you hold all of us in the palm of your hand. Nothing is a surprise to you. Empower us to be the change agents that bring life and love and peace and hope and joy to a hurting world. And it's in that spirit we join our voices, we join our hearts, and we pray together that prayer that Jesus taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.